Before we start today's podcast, a quick reminder that Unmade's first in-person event is taking place in Sydney soon on Tuesday, May the 24th. We're going to be tackling the cost of living crisis and what that means for marketers. That's right, Tim. We've got four amazing speakers in this event. Group M CEO, Amy Buchanan, Optus CMO, Mel Hopkins, the founder of Shapeshifter Consulting, Al Crawford, as well as Professor Yana Bowden from Macquarie University. There are, I was about to say there are no weak links there, but then I remembered that I'm moderating <laughs> it. Uh, it takes place on the evening of Tuesday, May the 24th at the Foresters Pub in Surrey Hills. Tickets are just $69 or $10 for Unmade's paying subscribers. To book and find out more, just search for Unmade Cost of Living in Google or head to unmade.media in today's podcast post for the link. Or if you want to get there directly, the tiny URL. Do you remember when tiny URLs were a thing? Tinyurl.com forward slash unmade event. Tickets are limited, so book today. Start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. As we record, it's 7am on Monday morning in New South Wales. And it's just gone 10 o'clock on Sunday night for me in the UK. Today, Labour puts TV sport on the election agenda. News Corp buys into digital publisher Stockhead. And WPP makes a messence. Unmade. Well, good morning to you, Damo. Um, how was your weekend? Tim, my weekend was fantastic. I'll tell you why. As you know, I'm a little bit of an aviation nerd, and just by chance, I took the kids to the airport on Saturday night, and I managed to see my first Airbus A220 at Sydney Airport, Air Baltic, no less. I thought you were about to say you saw the A350 long range with the new Qantas livery flying in, which that would have been has it is today's big announcement from Qantas. It's flying in from France, I believe. That would have been a fantastic seclusion. No, I wasn't that lucky, but I thought this was a good sighting nonetheless. How was your week? Busy, actually. I actually made it into central London for once. So a couple of good industry conferences, which we'll probably talk about a bit later. But there's one, The Future of Brands, which was, as the name would suggest, about the future of brands. And the other one was uh, New Frontiers in Video, organised by Video Week uh, here in the UK where I am, which is really talking about everything that's going on in TV, which was super useful to get just the temperature of where we're going, both in... Uh, broadcast television, but also streaming. And when I say streaming, that's both in subscription streaming and also ad-supported streaming. So we'll have lots to get into there um, as we uh, as, as we turn to the topics. Um, where should we start this week, Damo? Yeah, like you said, a lot to get through. So why don't we start with a story in the SMH about anti-siphoning uh, and that came about with the chat on the AFL rights. Tim, you've uh, talked about this a fair bit as well. Yeah, so this is one that uh, was covered, as you say, in the Sydney Morning Herald and also the Age this morning. Now, this has become a little bit more of an election issue now. So Michelle Rowland, the uh, Labour spokesperson for communications, so the shadow equivalent of communications minister Paul Fletcher, has made the point that, um, as she would argue, 
Um, Fletcher somewhat dropped the ball in not fully rebooting the anti-siphoning laws. So these are the laws that um, effectively, and I'm always a bit conflicted because on the one hand, it protects various sports rights for the free-to-air broadcasters, so arguably they get it cheaper than they otherwise would. But also, of course, it means that for Australian consumers, they can watch major sport without it going necessarily behind a paywall, although it can end up behind a paywall. So um, uh, the, the, the current regime has basically expired now, and it was kind of created 30 years ago in the days that Foxtel was coming along. Didn't envisage the rise of the streamers, of course. So um, there are some big holes in the legislation. So it's been sort of rolled over until uh, next year. But um, it, it really does need a full overhaul, which is clearly now going to be the work of the next government, whichever party gets into power. Now, as you say, Michelle Rowland, who, if the polls are correct at the moment, looks very uh, likely to be taking over that role as communications minister. But let's see how that plays out. Getting specific, though, Tim, the first big tell, one of the first big tests for sure, is going to be the rights to the Olympics, which we are still talking about. Still don't have a huge amount of uh, a solid idea in terms of who's going to be taking that on. The Australian has more on that today. Yeah, there is a bit more in the the Aussies media um, section today. So uh, for the last, well, several years, Seven has been the rights holder, um, which gives it effectively first dibs. Um, Extraordinary situation, of course, with the Olympics um, during the time of COVID was delayed by a year. And it's a matter of public record that Seven lost something like $50 million on the deal. You know, they just weren't able to bring in the advertising and sponsorship to cover it, even though it was a great launch pad for, uh, you know, the programming that followed. Um, the real prize here for this next set of rights deal, which is seems to be for the next three Olympics, is 2032. Brisbane, which of course is is massive for uh, um, the Australian broadcasters. The next two events aren't so good because they're both ones in the European time zone, ones in the um, the um, United States time zone. Um, but of course, you have to you know take the rough with the smooth, I suppose, if you want to do these big deals. But of course, there's great speculation that could we see a streamer pile in and take that. Um, Amazon Prime potentially. That's certainly one that's already got interest in sport and kind of on a on a global level. And of course, that's the other thing to bear in mind about these deals is that although yes, there's a uh, there are conversations happening in Australia, they're also happening all around the world. And this is only one market. Um, but yeah, the the Australian makes the point that um, the IOC have actually been in Australia in the last few days in readiness for um, to talk about Brisbane. Uh, mentions that uh, Kerry Stokes, the proprietor of Seven, had uh, what they describe as a private lunch uh, on Sunday, yesterday, with the president of the uh, IOC. Um, So it certainly sounds like um, things are just beginning to get moving. But much like AFL, I think we're probably going to have a resolution to this one before the the end of the year. Will the public put up with ads on Netflix? That's coming up next. Made. 
Interesting piece in today's Australian Financial Review from uh, their media writer Miranda Ward. Um, Pure Profile, the kind of uh, survey and research company, has asked consumers whether they would be willing to pay for Netflix. And the data that comes back from Pure Profile is, yes, they will, if they receive a discount of according to net to pure profile at least 20 percent um damo what are your thoughts on netflix pricing strategy it's a really interesting one isn't it at least a 20 percent discount and yes they will and i think what a lot of other people were thinking was maybe the other way around that perhaps you could come in on a cheaper uh, well a standard subscription with advertising that remained around the same level as it did as it is now and increase the prices of the other subscriptions and call them premium essentially what Spotify does in terms of the naming but the key point there is that Spotify's uh, ad supported version is actually free getting back to this pure profile uh, data you know the stories mentioned in cost of living and and consumers switching and looking for more price sensitive options. Um, the thing is, uh, I guess this has all come out after the, the forty billion dollars that was wiped off the value of Netflix in the most recent uh, the most recent financial report, uh, and the fact that they've lost two hundred thousand subscribers as well. There's a lot of complexity around that in terms of, you know, talk about Russia, for example, and, and whether shutting down there, uh, not shutting down there would have actually had uh, an increase on subscribers. But let's cast that aside. And Pure Profile is saying that uh, people will be interested in, in Australia. It could actually be the 15 to 24-year-olds that are up for paying the premium, uh, but that a lot of the consumers are looking to perhaps step down into the ad supported uh, model which may not play to Netflix advantage in that they're looking for more subscribers in general and boosting that by having more people who are not willing to pay for Netflix now jumping on at an ad supported level but there's a couple of things within this that I would question slightly right at the very end Uh, It says that uh, according to Pure Profile, on average, Aussies pay $24 uh, per month on streaming. Okay, sure. Uh, But also that Prime and Disney Plus was the most watched streaming uh, subscription uh, solutions within Australia, which is interesting to me. It makes me question how many people were in that that survey or or what the skew potentially was because Disney Plus has never been a, a massive player in, in, in Australia, nor has Prime in, in terms of people constantly talking about it. But it's a really interesting way of, of looking at it. I personally don't think it's necessarily going to blow to the 15 to 24-year-olds paying for, for the premium. And I think we, we've seen that freemium can work in Australia with Spotify. Uh, but there's, there's still a lot of ifs and buts with this because as the article mentions as well, Free free subscription services in Australia with streaming, not so much choice at the moment, unless you want to go down the, the options from 7, 9 and 10. 
Yeah, picking up your point on, uh, and, and without seeing the raw data, obviously, it's actually quite hard to, to work out exactly what this means. But yeah, the phrase um, suggests, it, just, just as you say, the very final line, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime Video are Australia's most watched platforms. See, my guess is that's most watched amongst their customers. And I wonder whether particularly Disney Plus, obviously, it skews a lot of that content is for children mm-hmm. who might just absorb a lot more. So I wonder if it's actually just that if you have a subscription to that one, you listen, you're as a, as a family, you view for a lot more minutes or, 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 or hours per week. Um, I thought the other thing was um, preference by provider where this doesn't, um, this doesn't slice out. Okay. Uh, households that have multiple subscriptions because it just asks people to pick one what I found fascinating is 63% of people asked to ex- express a preference for one particular provider, chose Netflix. That's massive when Stan is just 4%. Mm-hmm. Yet my sense is in terms of subscriber numbers, they're almost neck and neck in Australia. Netflix aren't that much much ahead and, you know, arguably – you know, Stan Slate is almost as good as Netflix. But yeah, they've, you know, according to this piece of research, when people are asked to express preferences, number one, Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, 7%, Disney Plus, 6 Foxtel Now, 5 Stan, 4 It just, I, I, I wonder if this is about visibility as much as anything, or if it's people, whether they actually subscribe or not. Um, this is one of those problems with reviewing the morning's papers when you haven't seen the data is sometimes you're, uh, as a reader, would be trying to guess the full meaning. So um, so that's probably about as much as we can pull out from that particular piece of pure profile research. Yeah, now, Tim, you listened to the Netflix investor call when they discussed all of this. Uh, how do you think they're going to price this? Yeah, I think two main points is they've obviously thought about the PR side of it. They hate the idea of giving the impression that you used to get this ad-free experience that you're paying for, and now you're going to have to live with ads. So they are very much presenting it as there are some people who'd love to subscribe at a cheaper price point, and we might be able to help them in the future. So it feels very much like that's what was, what what's the strategy of how they're presented to the market. So it will be a new lower price tier is how they argue for it. And then the second thing is, which again has seen some resentment from people sort of hearing that they're not going to be able to share passwords amongst other distant members of the family in the same way. Again, is creating resentment. And hey, I'm seeing people, you know, on social media talk about how they're giving up their subscription already, even though it hasn't happened yet. And again, they're saying, look, you know, it was only ever intended for people living in the same house, uh, not the wider thing. But if people would like to share with the wider family, then we'll look at ways of helping them do that at an extra price. So they're thinking quite carefully about how they communicate the message so that they don't give the impression they're asking people to pay more for the same thing. Coming up next, Telstra finds a second horse. Unmade. So, Tim, this one's another one we've been following for quite some time. Telstra has finally confirmed it is buying a 51% share in Fetch TV for $50 million. Uh, What does this say about aggregation? 
Well, firstly, I should say I had an absolute howler for the ages in my best of the week email on Saturday where I accidentally said uh, $50 billion rather than $50 million, which is one of those problems then hitting send is you can you can edit on the web, but you can't edit the emails you just sent. So I was kicking myself for that. But yes, as you say, it was um, 50 million. So um, yeah, what does it say about aggregation? Um, I think it's a recognition of where consumption is going. You know, we've just talked about the sheer number of services. The thinking for Fetch, and it was quite clear-eyed because it was, you know, it was a long time ago was that there will be multiple services that people would need one portal to manage everything through. And Fetch became that. So, you know, not only being able to watch free to air through the one box, and if you've got the Fetch Mighty box, record um, shows as well, but also being able to manage all of the subscriptions. So that makes sense. Um, It also had tied in with most of the telcos already, with the exception of Telstra, and that included with the um, the sub hub, which is the subscriptions hub, which Optus does. But this is the missing piece, really, um, certainly as far as Fetch is concerned, because um, Telstra um, has got a lot of users who um, uh, were, were, were using the Telstra TV service, which is Telstra's own box. They will in time flip across to Fetch as well. So suddenly we'll see something like, 1.5 million subscribers to fetch so it's um it's 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 transformative in the aggregation of television space in australia it's certainly a significant subscriber base but what does this mean for telstra and its stake in, in foxtel i think a lot of people assumed that the potential float of foxtel which very much seems like it's not happening now is telstra's sort of exit or way to exit that they are different beasts, Foxtel and Fetch. How do you see this relationship with Telstra and Foxtel playing out now? Yeah, so Telstra has obviously got two horses in the race now. So it, as you're saying, it has an ownership stake in Foxtel of about a third and seem to have ambitions of selling that down as part of the uh, the potential float, which looks like it isn't going to happen now certainly no time soon we'll find out a bit more in the next few days when news corp um, releases its quarterly results out of new york and they usually give some more indications on how foxtel group is traveling um i i think we have to think of telstra as a really big organization with lots of moving parts and lots of different stakeholders um and i think as much as it can, I think the Foxtel stake will sit in one part of Telstra and the Fetch stake in another. So there'll be, you know, different internal bosses. Certainly, I'm sure that's the way they they would present it to the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission if they look at any kind of competitive concerns about this deal. Um, so I, I, think, I think the problem is for the two shareholders in Foxtel, in News Corp and Telstra, they don't quite know what to do with it at the moment. They're stuck kind of treading water, certainly until they can get that $2 billion debt down a bit. So this, this I think, is just it's a new strategy from Telstra about what they want to do. Um, it's in part was a pragmatic decision. Up until now, they've been white-labeling technology from a company called Roku out of the US. 
Um, and that deal was due to end in a few months. So there's the pragmatic deal, carry on in a three-legged race with Roku, not having really your own control, or take an ownership stake in Fetch, and then you own the boxes yourself. Now, this is an interesting thing for Roku as well, who in the US get lauded for their technology. It's apparently a very good uh, box that they've got and some very good hardware. I haven't actually had the ability to try it. Obviously, I'm in Australia, but was Roku ever going to make a play to, to come to Australia? Well, effectively, the Roku box is the Telstra box. So it's, it's you know, Ro- Roku's hardware. In the US, it's really got three arms. So the boxes... Uh, it also provides the underlying technology, uh, the software technology in certain smart TVs, and then an advertising arm as well. Um, so I guess the exposure to Australia for Roku up to now was through Telstra, which kept the rest away from Australia. Um, I did manage to just grab at the edge of the... Um, uh, one of the TV conferences I was at, there was an executive from Roku there from the advertising side of things and news had just broken of the fact that um, Fetch and Telstra were getting back together. At that point, he you know, he wasn't giving me much of a sense on what they might do next, but I genuinely think it was because they haven't they haven't worked it out yet. I I think though, you know, these global companies tend to like to be in all major markets. Certainly the English speaking companies like to be in all the English speaking markets. The challenge for Roku and their advertising arm though, is by the time they finally get here, Fetch will have 1.5 million uh, users already. Um, That's a really hard game to play catch up on. Coming up next, News Corp buys into business publisher. News Corp today revealed that it has invested in finance publisher Stockhead. What should we make of that, Damo? Good question, Tim. Uh, this is News Corp trying to develop their business coverage with a bit more depth on the small cap market, in particular for those that don't know Stockhead. That's their bread and butter. It's a, essentially a website covering ASX-listed small cap companies. It's an interesting investment uh, in that uh, Stockhead itself, it's not an old company, Tim, or an old publisher. Uh, It was founded in 2017 by David Greer and Jonathan Younger. um, And they've been around since 2017, covering off uh, almost exclusively the small cap market. Um, But it's an interesting play by News Corp. The Australians covered this one. There's no mention of exactly what the stake is uh, that they've taken, aside from uh, News Corp having acquired a strategic stake. Now, Stockhead made quite the splash when it launched back in 2017. Uh, Former News Corp and Fairfax Digital editor David Higgins was then the editor in charge and also named as the CEO back then. But uh, what was picked up on was that David Greer and Jonathan Younger were also involved in the public relations firm Media and Capital Partners, uh, whose uh, clients 
also happen to be largely small cap businesses, small businesses themselves, and it seemed like a, a little bit of a, a nice tie-up. But of course, uh, stockhead spokespeople would always say that there was a, a line in the sand there and the companies uh, didn't really intermingle and they were very much their own separate entities. But uh, an interesting move by News Corp, no less. Um, and more details, I'm sure, will open up, as you mentioned before. We're just grabbing these stories right now. And you mentioned, um, you didn't use the, word, the, the, the phrase, but the slight conflict of interest. Another thing which interests me about the model, the business model, is it's, I guess, the charitable way of putting it is content marketing. Mm. Yeah, we've seen that from a few different people at the moment. I'm not going to say that it's uh, the, the main game, but... Whether you look at Stockhead or Car Expert, for example, these different ways of uh, doing or gaining revenue share, uh, it it goes towards that content marketing play, as you say, rather than your standard display ads. And hey, look, if I'm honest, so give an example of how it works. Yeah, look. Um, <laughs> I was going to finish off that by saying, if I'm honest, I don't think it's great. But how does it work? That's a good question. Look, it's largely content that has a look and feel of being editorial, but it's sponsored by a a business. It's worked on between the business and the publisher. How much between both depends. Sometimes it's just purely a business message. Sometimes it genuinely has been workshopped between the two of them. Uh, the rule of thumb usually is there's there's a note somewhere that says sponsored by or brought to you by or in partnership with. But geez, the those one I be- was looking at with um, Stockhead today mm. was um, used the phrase was developed in collaboration with. Um, mm. Look, it sometimes feels to me that um, the publisher is, doesn't really like to just come out and say this is sponsored content they kind of use that slightly fudged language. They put it at the bottom of a, of an article rather than the top. So, you know, the reader has got to be pretty savvy to actually understand they're reading what, what is pay-to-play content. The reader's got to be super switched on. And it's happening more and more often in, uh, you know, in, in niche and niche areas uh, as well. Uh, and, and some of those areas people are switched on and some they're not as switched on, and some publishers are very, very, uh, I guess, coy about the terminology. So, Tim, look, not the first time News Corp has invested in business publishers either. No, it's worth um, thinking back to back in 2012 when um, I guess the last big uh, business independent came through, which was uh, uh, led by um, Alan Kohler, um, Eric Beecher was on the board. Um, a, a, a few kind of, you know, the kind of glit- most glittering business journalists, which included Business Spectator and Eureka Report, which um, News Corp paid a fair bit for at the time. Um, I suspect in part it was Kim Williams, the boss at the time, was just keen to stop it from falling into Fairfax Media's hands. Um, I'm not sure they really got their investment back, though, so uh, hopefully uh, they do better with Stockhead. Up next, the rebrand brains at Accenture and WPP get to work. Unmade. 
Tim. Lots going on at the big end of town for the global holding companies. WPP has merged Essence and Mediacom to create Essence Mediacom. And Accenture Interactive is merging most of its agencies, uh, turning it into Accenture Song. What does this all mean? How have you seen it? More agency mergers, more name changes. Is it the same old again? Well, yes, is the honest answer. I was trying to think of a better way of dressing up that, but yes, um, particularly with, with WPP, the problem is too many agencies. Um, a lot more goes on at the holding company level these days. So that's why we have the, uh, the new Essence Media Com or the conferences I was at in London. They were, they were being referred to as Messence which, um, again, somebody at the conference said WPP was unamused by, so let's not call it Messence, please, everybody. Um, so, yeah, look, I think um, I think it it is what it is. It's about now handling it with the clients, um, making sure that clients who've uh, been switched sometimes multiple times between ever ever smaller uh, a number of agencies in ever bigger groups um, are comfortable with the switch. Um, do you have a sense of what it means locally, Damo? Yeah, locally, Pat Crowley is going to be the CEO of Essence Mediacom. Uh, it's going to be a massive play for them. The, 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 it will be the, the biggest Group M uh, media buying uh, agency. Uh, it's, look, it, it's... It's an interesting one for the Australian market in terms of Mediacom always had a very deep history and Essence is more of the brand that that's sort of been the up and comer and, and, and growing. Of course, Essence recently uh, itself had uh, uh, changes in, in that it merged with AKQA Media and now it's merging again into Essence Mediacom. So look, I, I, I'm not necessarily sure that Essence itself had totally settled. Well, and let's remember that before Essence and AKQA Media, we had Icon as well was folded into the group. Absolutely. So there's there's a lot of settling yet to do, but they were, they were very quick to announce Pat as as the CEO there. Um, but they're not the only ones making these big moves, as we mentioned before. Uh, Accenture Interactive 2, uh, there's been a substantial change there, which has affected most, but not all, of the brands within Interactive, Tim. Yeah, so of the big global consultancies that are increasingly coming into that communication space, Accenture have gone further than most by buying a lot of great agencies around the world, uh, most famously Droga 5 um, out of the US, uh, here in Australia, the Monkeys, uh, in the UK, Karma Rama, amongst others. Um, and they've decided rather than sort of sitting underneath the kind of parent brand of Accenture Interactive, which is a bit of a stale name, they're effectively are going to become one brand under one agency or almost one. Um, Droga 5 will stay as Droga 5. And it would seem that for now, at least, the Monkeys will stay as the Monkeys in Australia. Um, but they seem like 
the only two out of dozens. Um, Putting my cynics cap on, I would suggest that, oh, could that be because David Droger and Mark Green have very, very senior roles at Accenture Interactive? Well, you do wonder, don't you? Look, there's this wonderful quote from Marketing Week, Mark Ritson, which I'm going to read to you because uh, I found myself nodding. I find it so annoying when I write something about this. And then Ritson comes out the next day and does the same thing, but just three times better. Um, but he, yeah, he really sums it up. David Droger is the CEO of Accenture Song. And while he was comfortable scything down the other brands in the group, he couldn't quite bring himself to do it to his own baby. This is a bad move, partly because it will create increased ill will across the other sacrificed sister agencies but also because Accenture Song was so close to creating a single focused sub-brand. Now, with the survival of Droga 5, the company is still juggling multiple brands. You're either singular or you're plural in the world of brand architecture. So um, I can't disagree with that. And that is it for today. As always, we'd love to hear what you think at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. Don't forget about our special event on May 24 in Sydney, Marketing in a Cost of Living Crisis. Tickets are selling fast. Book now at tinyurl.com forward slash unmade event. And if you haven't yet given the Unmade podcast a rating in the podcast catcher of your choice please do so. It helps other people to find us. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.